right, if you would grab your Bibles, turn to Psalm 107. Psalm 107 tonight. Psalm 107. And this chapter has a repeating line in it, a repeating verse, really, and most of you know it. Uh, in fact, it's, it's kind of been stuck in my head for about a week uh, since last Sunday, and we were doing all the testimonies, and I was thinking about it, and I had a, a quick, rough outline, and I was looking at the chapter, and uh, I, I wasn't planning on doing this tonight. I had, I had a different plan, and so uh, instead, we're going to do this tonight, and I think you find that repeating verse there in verse number 8, verse number 15, verse number 21, verse number 31. He repeats it that many times in one chapter, and he says in verse number 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Uh, you start off this chapter and he reminds us, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They wandered into the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way and that they might go to a city of habitation. And so the chapter starts and I think verse 1 through verse 7 is just his introduction. And as he looks over the, the thought and he's going to get to the idea of oh that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works toward the children of men. Uh, but he's really looking as the start of truly who God is good to. God is good to the ones that He has redeemed. Now, I know doctrinally, all right, I'm going to cover doctrinal. For, this is the nation of Israel, all right? And I'm not going to try and steal the promises of Israel. I'm going to go ahead. We're going to reference some things that you and I have. Uh, you and I are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. Uh, we're redeemed. You were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot. Uh, so we're going to look at some things tonight in this chapter that ultimately I believe we can praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men, especially to the goodness that He has brought to you. Uh, the Lord has been extremely good. Brother Andrew said it. The Lord has been extremely good to us. Uh, I love that that last song we sang, All That Thrills My Soul Is Jesus. That's one of my favorites. Uh, it's, it keeps bumping up on the list the more times I sing it, too. It kind of just slowly keeps moving up. Uh, what a wonderful redemption, never can a mortal know how my sin, though red like crimson, can be whiter than the snow. Uh, what a wonderful redemption we've got. And as, and as you look at this chapter, we may not have the, the idea of a wilderness uh, in, in reality, like the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and they had to wait before they went into the promised land and to take that and go ahead and gain the victory and get the cities that God had promised them and the 
But you and I have a city who's built, which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Uh, you and I are promised a city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. That's where we, we get to dwell for all of eternity. We got a city. We got redeemed and he put us in a city and he made it so that you and I are redeemed, by the way, from all those directions, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. All over the world, God has drawn people to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and has gone ahead and satisfied a thirsty soul that was hungry and needed help and was fainting. That's what he describes us as. Amazingly enough, he starts off this chapter, you know, he's saying, hey, you ought to praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works toward the children of men. Hey, by the way, the people who ought to praise him the most are the people who have gained the most, and you and I have gained the most. Uh, you and I have an eternal salvation that can never be taken away because of a redemption that was provided for us by the Lord Jesus Christ and by the shed blood of a Savior who could give his life a ransom for many and pay the debt of our sins. Uh, it is no wonder that he ought to be praised and he ought to be thanked. Uh, one of the earmarks, and I mentioned it last Sunday night, one of the earmarks of the last days is on thankfulness. Uh, we are so, uh, as, as a society, you and I have a, this society of uh, give me. <laughs> uh, right? That's the prodigal son's answer. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. I want that now. Uh, the horse leech hath two daughters crying, give, give. Just give me. I deserve it, just give it to me. Everybody wants it to hand it to them and given to them and taken care of so that they don't have to do anything and working for it. Uh, and the truth of the matter is, God has given you far more than you deserve. And the truth is, He ought to be thanked for it. We do a poor job of thanking Him most of the time. And we do a poor job of praising Him most of the time. And we do, but we ought to. And we ought to do our best to give Him the praise and the glory He deserves. So we're going to look at... Uh, uh, four things tonight, four things overall uh, that he gives us in this chapter that I think spiritually we all got and that he helps us with over and over again. And we'll look a little bit at the children of Israel, but the truth is that it's the wonderful works to the children of men. It's a worldwide thing you could get. It's the nation of Israel, yeah, and they, the, the examples are from the nation of Israel, but you and I have some wonderful things to praise Him for. And I, I think sometimes, sometimes, we just think we're deserving of all the things we just automatically get because He's so good. Uh, if He turned the blessings off, you and I would be murmuring and complaining like the children of Israel in a wilderness. We think, we think well, God, you need to do that, you know. I'll get to this in a second. Uh, but, you know, I look around and, and we look around and we go, boy, it's getting pretty bad. The rapture's got to happen. And, and the Lord's got to come back and praise He's coming back. I think He's coming back soon. But you realize that you and I might not be exempt from troublous times. We, we may not just get it cushy and, and have a nice cushioned ride all the way and then a trumpet sound and we get to go home on beds of ease. You have no guarantee of that. I'm not saying you go into the tribulation. I'm not, it's none of that. It's just this world could get real bad before he finally pulls, pulls that cord and we get out. Before the shoot goes, we might, we might just have to actually have trouble. That's not really shocking to me. But I think it's shocking to a lot of Christians here in America because they think, well, uh, you know, if we don't have trouble, you know, we shouldn't have any trouble. We're not going to have any problems. I mean, we're, you know, 
okay, so the Apostle Paul wasn't, uh, wasn't a good enough Christian. You're better than that. He had persecutions, distresses, shipwrecks, beatings. <laughs> you go ahead and read his testimony. He, uh, Karen reminded me of, of an old preaching CD that, that uh, I had, and, and I've I got to find it now so I can listen to it again. Uh, there's a line in there. It's my least favorite and my favorite line all at the same time. And the preacher says this. He says, uh, it's just little excerpts of different preachers. And he says this, uh, the world couldn't get on with the holiest man that ever lived, but it can get on with you and me. <laughs> they crucified Jesus. He was the holiest man to ever walk the face of the earth. But you and I, we can skate by with no troubles. Paul, a preacher of righteousness, he doesn't, he doesn't get to pass by with no troubles. We get troubles and tribulations. But that doesn't exempt the fact that we are the redeemed of God and that He has bought us and He has saved us and that we ought to praise Him even when the troubles come. But too many times we murmur and complain because we don't like how things went. And the Lord do all things without murmurings and disputings. So what do we do? We complain an awful lot even when God has been so good. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer. I just, uh, I'm going to look at just, a, just four things here tonight on the goodness of God to us. And Lord, I thank you for it, and I thank you for how good you are, and I thank you that you are a wonderful Savior. And Father, not only are you a wonderful Savior, you're a wonderful Father, and you're a wonderful friend. So often... So often we murmur and we complain and we fail to praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. And Father, I do pray You would just get the praise and the glory out of everything that's said and done tonight. I pray You'd help me to say what needs to be said and just the way it needs to be said so that You can be praised. Father, that we would lift up praises to our God and we would proclaim the greatness of who you are and what you've done. Lord, we love you and we pray you would come back soon and take us home, Father. I'd love to see you tonight, but Father, if you tarry, I pray you'd give us the courage to stand in an evil day. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to stay right here in Psalm 107. In verse number 8, he says, <clears throat> and I think this phrase starts what he wants to say. You'll notice that the book doesn't end with that phrase. It doesn't end with, oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful work. It doesn't end that way. Instead, he kind of gives that introduction about the and I think he's talking about the fact that the redeemed are the ones who have the most reason to praise God and to thank Him and to, and to go ahead and do that. And so then he gets to verse number 8 and he says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Why should we do that? For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron because they rebelled against the words of God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and brake their bands in sunder. You say, what did he do? Well, first of all, he took all those distress, that distress of affliction that was put upon you. The, the troubles of afflictions, that trial of affliction that comes. You know what he does? He goes ahead and removes it. 
You know, we were deserving of the affliction. Get this, uh, you, and I, you and I deserve whatever happens to us. <laughs> Sowing and reaping, you and I are sinners. We're exceeding sinful most of the time. <laughs> you, and I, you and I are not good. I'm going to say that again. You and I are not good. We are not good. You say, oh, but it's sanitized by God. No, you have been sanctified eternally and now you got work to do. Sanctification versus daily sanctification are two very different things. And you and I make mistakes all day long. And we are real good at it. And you know what we deserve? We deserve the troubles that come along with the fact that we make the wrong decision and we do the wrong thing. And then in our distresses, we cry unto the Lord and He hears us. Thank the Lord. You know what you can do? You can go back and go, Lord, I'm sorry. I messed that up today. I'm sorry, I didn't quite do that the way I was supposed to. And sometimes we pay for things and we're going through troubles and we're going through trials. And some of those are self-inflicted afflictions. (laughs) We put them on ourselves because we decided and we made the choice and the choice was ours. And we are dwelling in the consequences of our actions or our inactions, depending on which way that went. We didn't do what we were supposed to do, or we did exactly what we weren't supposed to do, and we've now sowed, and now we're going to reap. And you know what? You ought to thank God that He lets you reap some things. You ought to thank God that He's letting you reap some things. Why? Because then you realize that He is merciful, and He's gracious, and He's going to let you come back and get forgiveness. And He was willing to go ahead and say, hey, you know what? I've got I to chasten you because I love you. Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom He receiveth. And so He brings a little affliction in your life to do what? To bring you back to Him so you would praise Him. Because you certainly weren't praising Him by what you were doing a moment ago. So he says, hey, you know what I'll do? I'll bring some affliction in your life. I'll bring some trouble in. I'll bring some some of those things. And what I'll do is I'll use those things to bring you back to me so that you can understand. You realize the children of Israel needed needed affliction repeatedly to bring them back to the Lord. That's the entirety of the book of Judges. Isn't that the whole book of Judges? I mean, you read the book of Judges. That is the life of a Christian to a T right there. So what is that? Well, you know, uh, we're going to go ahead and do what we want to do and we're going to serve what we want to serve and we're going to look and we're going to just kind of do our own thing. And the Lord's like, okay, well, you forgot about me. Yeah. Right? And then he sends in somebody to go ahead and scourge them, take them into captivity, go ahead and rule over them, go ahead and put them under submission. And then he's got to send a judge, a deliverer, to go ahead and bring them back out of the bondage that they were under so that he can go ahead. And they cry unto the Lord so that he'll send. And then once they finally cry, he says, okay, I'll send somebody. You say, he doesn't send the best all the time. I know. He sent Samson. He sent Jephthah. He sent, there, there are some people, he, he sent them in and you're like, who would choose them? <laughs> but they're who they needed. It's amazing to me that in our affliction, we can come up with the right answer. Even when we don't understand who it is or why it is. So what are we doing? You ought to praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful work to the children of men. Why? Because even in your afflictions, even in your afflictions, God's doing something great. He delivers. But you realize, much like, the, uh, much like those three Hebrew children, that sometimes He, will, he doesn't have to deliver. 
That's their statement. They look at the king, oh king, <laughs> we're not careful to answer thee. <laughs> we have no care or concern about what we're about to say. You can throw us in a fiery furnace all you want to, but we're not bowing to you. And whether our God delivers us or not, we're still not bowing. You know what they recognize? They recognize that the afflictions of doing right are also, are also worthy of praise to Him. You may suffer for doing right. There may be afflictions that come. Why? Just for doing right. You're doing the right thing and somebody doesn't like it. You know, we get that all the time. Street preaching, visitation, witnessing, just out on the street, just doing any of those things, just out in public. You get it at work. You get it at school. You get it at wherever. People don't like it and they don't want to be told. You realize people don't like being told that they're wrong. They don't like it. Oh, you mean to tell me that I've done this wrong my entire life? Yeah, yeah, you have. You mean my religion's not good enough? No, it's not. You know, they don't like to hear that. Does it make it less true? Well, no. But boy, it'd be wonderful if they could see the need of a Savior. Say, so, yeah, but people don't like me when I tell them that. Okay. But aren't you supposed to tell them? Regardless of the afflictions that may come along with it? He goes ahead and delivers them from the afflictions that they're under. He takes care of their, their needs at that particular moment. Notice what else he says in verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He hath broken the, gate of bra the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities, are afflicted. Their soul abhorreth all manner of meat, and they draw near to, unto the gates of death. They, then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He saveth them out of their distresses. He sent His word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. I oh, say, what do you got? Now you've got distresses. They're afflicted and they're distressed. For what? For being a fool? And you know what they are? They're abhorring all manner of meat. You know what that's telling me? They're no longer loving what God loves. Strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. They're fools, right? The description of them is a fool. And the description is they don't love meat anymore. They're going against what God wanted them to have. And they don't, they don't. Sounds like the children of Israel, right? They're coming through. Oh man, we're tired of this light bread, right? We're tired of, the, we're tired of eating the same thing all the time. Oh, that we had those leeks and the garlics back there in Egypt. You know what they're doing? They're longing for the good old days. They keep looking back at all those old times. They quit loving what God had for them, and instead they want to go back to what the world had for them. How many times, Christian, do you start looking back and go, Hey, I wish it was like. <laughs> Why can't I have? Why can't it be like? You know what happens then? You start looking back like that, you know what you'll do? You'll start despising the meat that He gave you. You keep looking back like that, you know what you'll do? You'll, you'll start not loving the Word of God. You'll start not loving. You won't care about it. You won't start doing those things. And You ever been there? And the Lord says, hey, you can come back. You can come back. I'll provide. 
But until then, you're going to be in distress because you're going to be wanting something you can't really have anymore. You know that old life? You can't have it. You, you realize once you got saved and became a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away. Amen. You know what you won't ever get back? You won't get back the good old days. You can look back all you want to. And you can, you know, it's funny, we, we haze over some of that stuff. Oh, it was so awesome back then, you know, it was so great. And we haze over and we get these rose-colored glasses looking back, acting like all the good old days were so great when the reality was they were probably awful. Because <laughs> you've forgotten how terrible it was in the miry clay that he pulled you out of. And we look back at those old days and you know what the problem is? The problem is you've started to despise the meat that God has for you now. You've despised what God wants you to be doing and how He wants you to be doing it. And you know what? God is merciful to go ahead and say, hey, you know what? If you call on me, you know what I'll do? You can come back. They cry unto the Lord in their trouble. Over and over. You know what He's doing? He's reminding you that no matter what draws you away from Him, He is still willing to let you come back. That is a merciful God right there. I would be done with me by now. I'd be done with me. I, I, I can't stand you. That's what I would be saying. I, just, I can't stand Get away from me. You annoy me. All right? I, I feel like I would annoy the Lord by now. Right? Maybe you don't think of yourself that way. I think, boy, if I messed up, if I had somebody in my life messing up that badly with the easy things that I have told them to do and they don't do it, I get frustrated with people. Say, boy, I mean, really? You, you, yeah. Don't you get frustrated with people who, you, who know better? You're a kid that knows better, and they still do the wrong thing, and you're like, what are you doing? Right? It's frustrating. And then the Lord looks at you and says, why do you keep looking back back that way? Didn't I do so much better for you now? Amen. And we go, no, no, the good old days back there with the leeks and the garlics. What, when you were a slave in bondage? When you, when you were put under and they were going ahead and, and beating you and they were going ahead and taking all your stuff and they were doing whatever they wanted to do and you were stuck in servitude as a slave building whatever it is they wanted you to build and making your bricks and then they make your labors harder and they do... That was better? Really? That was better? And the Christian looks back and they try to act like the good old days are the good old days. They're the terrible days. But we look back like it's supposed to be something amazing. We look back and we try to glorify what that life was. And the reality is God goes, I got better meat now than you've ever had. If you would just keep following me. And we look back and that's why he reminds us, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We have to forget the past. Not Not just the rough past either. Recognize this. You have to forget your successes too. Because you know what you'll do? You'll look back and go, boy, you know, back then, I really did a lot. And you'll hold on to those things. And the Lord goes, yeah, but I got something for you to do today. I've got something new today. Now, it may not be as glamorous as the last thing. It may not be, oh, hey, you know, you're going to do these things and you're going to have all this stuff. It may just be that today, I just need you to do a few things. I just need you to do the simple things. I need you just to keep going because you're just an example. 
the sad truth is that you get some folks that as they, as they get older, and I, I don't mean to pick on the older generation, but they go, well, I can't do the things that I used to do, right? You get old enough, you, you're slowing down, and you go, I, I just, I can't, I can't do those things. So then I just can't do anything. But the answer is no, that's not the case. Because if we start looking back and we start reminiscing for the old things that we used to do, and we, well, I want to do all these things that I used to do, but you're unable to do those. You say, well, what do I have to do? Do something new. Find what he wants you to do. It may be something different and it may not be the same high energy or the same intensity or the same whatever that you needed before, but it is exactly what you need today because it's exactly what he needs today. And it may be just due to injuries, due to, I'm talking with Brother Viscom and you know what Brother Viscom's praying about? Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Say why? Because after, after the stroke, he doesn't know what he can do yet. And so the question, well, what do I do? Because why? You don't want to stop. You don't want to stop. Pastor Legault has graciously, he's done something that, I'm going to be honest, I'm, he's done something that 95% of the pastors that I know never do. They looked at the clock. They looked at what was happening. And they go, I'm going to hold on to it still. I still got a little left in the tank. And they hold on to the church. And when they do, the church continues to decline. And it goes down and down and down and people start to go, there's no vision for the future. And Pastor Legault looked around and he said, you know what, now's the time. He prayed and the Lord led and he guided and he said, okay, but you know what he hasn't done? He hasn't stopped. Hasn't stopped. He's he's still going. He's still doing. You say, well, he's not preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night. Yeah, he's still preaching on Wednesday night. He's teaching Sunday school. He's still counseling. He's preaching out. He's already preached out at like three or four churches already the past year. And and I already know guys are calling him about setting things up. He is still going and he's still working. You say, well, what what happened? He just changed what he's doing a little. But we don't stop. And you can look back and you can go, well, you know, I used to be able to do all these things, but the truth is, what do you, you need to worry about what the Lord wants today. Amen. What He wants today. Because if you start looking back even at the right things that are in the past, you know what you'll do? You'll be bound up so badly in those things. Well, I already did my time. I didn't realize that it was a punch card for God. You know, you know the day of retirement for the soldier of Jesus Christ is? The day he gets called home. That's it. His duties may change. He may not have the same position. He may not have all the same things going on. And and you may not be able to do all that. But he'll have a job just for you. You can still be a witness. And you can still pray. And you can still read. And you can still help some other younger Christians understand what they ought to do. You know, there's a section... Boy, I didn't have any of this in, in these notes. All right. Uh, right? You get to Peter, right? And you're supposed to, the, the older men and the older ladies are supposed to teach the younger. That's, you go, well, I, I'm not out on the streets and I, I, I can't go and, and knock on doors and I can't walk and I can't do all this. Okay, yeah, but could you, could you give some advice to some younger Christians who could use some help? 
some that are trying to raise a family and they've never done anything like that before and they're confused and they don't know what to do. You see some things and you might be able to say, hey, uh, you know, I don't mean to pry and I don't mean to be, you know, but if you want any, anything, I'd be willing to help you out if I could. And offer the assistance. Say, well, what if they don't take it? Well, then they don't take it. But give them an option. Sometimes people just don't ask for advice because they don't even know anybody would help them. But if you'd be willing to help, maybe they'd take it. Oh. Anyways. I want to move on. Say why? Because I probably upset everybody now. I got everybody. Verse 21. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. And let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare His works with rejoicing. They that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and His wonders in the deep. For He commandeth the raise, and raiseth the stormy wind, which lifted up, lifteth up the waves thereof. They mount up to the heaven, they go down again to the depths, their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man, and, at, and are at their wit's end. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He bringeth them out of their distresses. He maketh the storm a calm, so that the waves thereof are still. Then are they glad, because they, have, they be quiet. So He bringeth them onto their desired haven. The storms come, and the storms of life may rage. It makes me think, of course, of, of Paul on the sea, and the tempest rises. It makes me think of Jonah. And the storm that shows up at the life of Jonah. It makes me think of Jesus Christ walking out on the water in the midst of the sea. And the, uh, and the, and the disciples are in the boat. and We get storm after storm. It makes me think of the time Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. And the storm has come. You know, sometimes the storm that you're in has nothing to do with you. That's the mariners around Jonah. They didn't have anything to do with that. They're in the midst of a storm, and the only reason they're in the storm is because Jonah was running from God and got in a boat. And it just happened to be their boat. <laughs> and they're stuck in the storm, and they're trying to figure out how to save everybody, and they're trying to keep all their stuff, and they're trying not to wreck the ship, and they're just trying to survive it. And then the Lord goes, yeah, it's Jonah. <laughs> they draw lots, and a lot goes to Jonah, and they're like, what are you doing? And he tells them what, he fesses up. And they're like, okay, well, and then they still try to save him. Finally, he's like, just toss me overboard, fellas. And all of a sudden, they toss him overboard, and the sea just calms right back down. All done. All done. Some of your storms are not storms of your own making. They're storms because somebody else didn't do what God wanted them to do, and you're just caught up in the wake. Then there's other storms where it is just simply that God needs to teach you that He is all-sufficient. Say, so What do you mean by that? That's the disciples on the sea. He says, hey, uh, get in the boat and go. He tells them to go. And as they go, you know what He says? He says, okay, I'm going I'm to wait here. And they're in the middle, and they're rocking around, and the storm comes up. And Jesus comes out walking. 
And they look out and they're worried it's a spirit and they're not sure. And then they finally figure out it's the Lord and Peter calls out, right? And Peter comes out to walk on water with Jesus. You know, Jesus' answer to Peter when he starts to sink, O ye of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Say, what's God trying to do? He's just trying to teach them that no matter what happens, he is always in control. Always. There is not one storm that God cannot calm, and there's not one storm he can't raise up if he wants it. That's what he says in the passage. The one we just read, God's the one who brings up and he raises the waves and the wind and everything comes up boisterous. And if he wants it up, it's up. And if he wants to calm it, it's down and submitted to him no matter what way he wants it to go. And so sometimes it's just, hey, I need to wake you up because you aren't looking at me anymore. Peter, you're walking and you're looking at the storms and you're looking at the problems. You're looking at everything else. Peter, I need you to look at me. Focus. Then there's other storms that are your fault. (laughs) And you chose to go that direction and the Lord said no. That's the ship Paul was on. Now it's not Paul's fault, but it's those mariners, right? He says, hey, you know, they think they got this convenient wind. (laughs) It's advantageous now. We can go. And and Paul says, don't go. There's going to be much harm to the ship. Don't do it. And they don't listen to the man of God. They don't listen to what the, what the word of the Lord was that was supposed to come to them. They don't listen to it. And so they go out. And you know what they lost? They lost the ship and they lost all the things. And only by the mercies of God did no man die. There stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. And he says, we're all going to make it if we stay with the ship. And they may have made it on broken pieces of ship and all the other things. And they may have floated their way in. But they all made it. But the only reason they were in that storm was because that captain decided he was going. Sometimes the only reason you're in a storm is because you decided you were going. And the Lord goes, I may get you through that storm, but you're gonna, it's going to cost you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You went through a storm and you look back and you go, boy, I wish I would have just listened to the Lord. And it wouldn't have cost me. And the Lord, you know what you need to do still? Praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. He didn't have to save all those people on that boat. He could have let them all die. But He's still good, and He's still merciful, and He's still gracious, and He's still forgiving, and He's still loving. That's who He is. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Verse number twenty or 31, afflictions, distresses, storms, how about this? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt Him also in the congregation of the people and praise Him in the assembly of the elders. He turneth the rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground, a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of them that dwell therein. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water and dry ground into water springs. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell that they may prepare a city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also so that they are multiplied greatly and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. Again, they are minished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow. He poureth contempt upon princes and causeth them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. 
Yet setteth he the poor on high from affliction, and, he make, and maketh him families like a flock. The righteous shall see it and rejoice, and, the, and all iniquities shall stop her mouth. Whoso is wise and will observe these things, even they shall understand the loving kindness of the Lord. Provisions. He decides what's going to grow and when it's going to grow and when it's not. He sends famine, he sends pestilence, he sends all that stuff, and then he goes ahead and turns around and goes, okay, I'm going to let all the crops grow and let you turn. That's the children of Israel. You recognize, uh, you get into the minor prophets with the children of Israel, and they keep saying that Egypt hath made me good, they've taken care of me, and, and the Assyrians, and the right? They keep calling everybody else out that they're the ones that have taken care of us and they've met our needs and everything else. The Lord says, okay, fine. I'll just cut everything off and you won't get a thing. Say, what's God doing? You realize that all of your provision comes from Him? One of the wonders uh, of the Old Testament uh, is uh, you get to the the book of Numbers and uh, uh, it's talking about them in the wilderness and they're going a hard way. And the way was, they were much discouraged because of the way, he says. And they're looking around, and you realize that the children of Israel will travel in the wilderness for 40 years. And not one crop was ever laid. They didn't plant one crop. They didn't raise cattle. They didn't have, but all their needs were always met. They didn't even need a new pair of shoes. That's how great the Lord is at providing. That's what He does to provide. He just does and does and provides and meets the need. And He does it over and over again. And you know what you and I think as Christians most of the time? Well, that's what God's supposed to do. We got the verses, Philippians. Right? My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So obviously God has to do it. And if He doesn't do it, I mean, obviously, I mean I'm supposed to be living a comfortable good life. Because He promised life more abundant and He promised this and He promised that. So I must have it easy. He's supposed to provide. All it does is remind me of Revelation chapter 3. Thou art rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. What? What do you mean? (laughs) That's America. Rich and increase of goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art poor and miserable and blind and naked. You may be rich in this life with no wealth in the next. And the Lord's going, I got better stuff than that. I, I got better stuff. I know we heard a message while we were at Youth Ablaze about that sparrow. The Lord says you're worth many sparrows. That's all true. The Lord wants to meet your need. He wants to go ahead and provide for you physically in this life. He won't let his children beg bread. I know that. We've got all the verses. But you know what we forget? We forget that when you go over to the grocery store, it is not, it is not the grocer that goes ahead. It is not... It, it is not uh, any one of the major companies that goes ahead and produces whatever it is that you bought. It is God that sent rain and provided seed and nourishment and sunlight to go ahead and meet whatever it is that you have so that they could even manufacture what you get. 
We have Brother McMillan's here. We got Brother Ross. We got Brother Mike Lang. Uh, we got we got some others that you know what they part of what they do and part of what they have is either their crops or of course their cattle, the dairy cows. They look around. You know what? You know what they have to understand. If God doesn't provide, we don't have. I was talking with Brother Ross. I said, are your fruit trees going to be okay? I mean, temperatures are going up to 60 and then they're dropping to 20. I mean, that's not good for any kind of plant life, right? And, I, I'm asking, and he said, well, it's up to the Lord. If, if they don't bud and they don't open and they don't do certain things, then we'll be okay. And if they do, then it's all up to the Lord what he's going to do with it. We recognize, you realize that the only reason you and I have any product whatsoever is because a merciful God sheds it down upon us. And if He doesn't, we don't have it anyways. Oh, well, they're corrupting and they're doing all these things and we can go all conspiracy, all right? We can do it and it's probably half true, all right? Maybe even three quarters true, all right? It's, it's awful, right? And the manipulation that happens, you get that. But you recognize this very quickly. God will always be in control of your supply. They can do whatever. But His promise to us is that if we would trust Him and look to Him, our supply and our need will always be met. We start looking at the supply and the greatness and the bank account and all the things, and you know what we end up doing? The sufficiency is of us. The Lord says... No, you're putting your trust in uncertain riches. And instead, you need to go and look at the one who provides all of your needs. And forget about all those other things. Go ahead and look at me because I can make the wilderness, I can make the, the, uh, the desert, I can make the dry ground, and I can turn all that stuff into as fruitful as I want it to be. And I can make the greatest ground bring forth nothing and make it a dry and a barren land whenever I want to. You know why God is so amazing? Because He's God. <laughs> he's so amazing just simply because He's God. He does all things well. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness. Aren't you glad He's a good God? <laughs> and not the God of this world? <laughs> that I had to preach on this morning? He's a terrible God. He doesn't want to do anything for them. He doesn't want to help, he doesn't want to help his, his people and his children. The Lord looks at you and he says, hey, you're my redeemed, aren't you? Didn't he buy you? Well, if he bought you, then you know what he'll do? He'll take care of you. And so when afflictions come and distresses come and storms come and the provisions don't seem like they're there, you know what you can trust in? Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. You know, that doesn't make any sense. It makes perfect sense to him. Why? Because if you'd praise him, you might just get out of the hole you're in. <laughs> he may turn around and go, oh, he's going to praise me? Why? Because they, they cried unto the Lord in their troubles. And he heard them. So well, I'm not getting my needs met. I'm, not getting, I'm having all these storms. I'm having all these troubles. I'm afflicted. I'm distressed. I'm discontented. I, I've got all these problems. And the Lord says, have you looked to me and cried to me? Because if you cry to him, He'll hear you. 
and he'll save you out of all of your troubles. That's his promise. So that sounds like a prosperity gospel. That's what he said. That's what he said. Didn't he promise to meet your need? I'm not, say, I'm not saying anything that God didn't say. I'm not saying that if you follow God, you don't have any troubles. I'm saying this. He can take care of all your troubles. He can give you peace in a wilderness. He can give you safety and security when there's violence around you. So how do you know that? Oh, when a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh his enemies to be at peace with him. So what's the problem? We don't praise him. The plea in the passage is, oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. I think, sadly, we don't praise him enough. He's a wonderful God. He's bought you. He's saved you. He's keeping you. He's the one who secured you forever. And he is the one who gets you through all of your troubles and all the trials and all the afflictions and everything that's happening. He's the one who's got it all under control because he's God. Why should I praise him? For his goodness. Because he's been awfully good. He's at least been awfully good to me. If you can't figure out he's been awfully good to you, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to do. Why? Because God is just good. He doesn't know how to be anything else. Let's go ahead and stand. I don't know what you need to do. I don't even know if this is invitation worthy. (laughs) But maybe you just need to come down and thank the Lord and praise Him for His goodness. Because He just deserves it. We get a time in the beginning of the service, we were singing, all that thrills my soul is Jesus, and singing all those hymns. You know what we were doing? Praising the Lord for His goodness. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, for His wonderful works to the children of men. hope tonight just reminded you how good God has been to you, and you ought to praise Him for it. Father, I thank You for the night, and I I thank You for those that have come out. I pray this was an encouragement and a help to them. Lord, we do pray You would bless the invitation even now, Lord, I don't know if somebody here is lost. Father, I think just about everybody, if not everybody in here is saved. But if they're lost, I pray they'd call upon Jesus Christ. He wants to redeem them. He paid the debt of their sins. And if they would come, we'd be willing to show them out of the Bible how they can know their sins are forgiven. I pray, Lord, you would just bless our night. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.